episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? Yo, what is up? We missed last week's episode, and I was trying to think about, you know, not only did we miss the episode, you stopped talking to me. No texting on the side, nothing. And I realized you were going through a lot as we've switched from the year of Karthik to the year of Nithin. Um, In the last week, three major developments have taken place. One... Virginia Tech fired their head football coach after a disastrous six-year run. That's definitely kick-starting the year of Nithin. Two, my Washington Wizards, who you laughed at, laughed me out of the room about potentially winning a playoff series the last time we recorded, currently currently stand first place in the Eastern Conference still through 14 games. Now the Bulls are up 15 against the Blazers. If they hold on, they'll be number one. But nonetheless, we'll be a top-two seed. Looking pretty good. Beal hasn't even played well yet. And three, most importantly, the Tampa Bay Bucks, the defending champions, rolled into Washington thinking, you know, coming off a bye, coming off a bad uh, loss against the Rams. Let's let's have a get-right game, right? You know, we always talk about get-right weeks, especially in football. This was going to be Brady's get-right week. Chase Young goes down with the ACL tear, yet you can't get Taylor Heineke off the field. Ten-minute. 19 play 80 yard drive with the Antonio Gibson touchdown to seal the deal. Suddenly the bucks are in absolute free fall and we're not even sure if they're going to end up outpacing the Falcons or the Saints to win this division. So <laughs> with that, I understood not only why we did not record last week, but also why there was no communication whatsoever. Absolute free fall. I love the the hyperbole over here. First of all, I don't know if it's the year of Nitin. I'll give you the month. Maybe you you get a nice little month in there. This is still my year. UCLA it beat Villanova in a crazy game last week. Number two team in the country. The Bucks, as much as you know, they've struggled the last couple of weeks. Six and three, still contender in you know for the Super Bowl. No team in the NFL has looked good this year. Every team has had their duds. The Packers have. Yeah, you think I'm scared of the Packers, man? The Packers are like the the most fraudulent team of the last ten years. Um, let them go 15-2, 14-3 in the regular season and get waxed in the playoffs. How the, mighty have, how the mighty have fallen. Six and three, you know, we look competent. We're filling out our stadium each week, and that's kind of where <laughs> the bar is set right now. I'll, I'll give you this look. Okay, Washington, um, that was a good game. Heineke, for some reason, we have no answer for it. This happened it's, in the postseason last year. Happened again this year. Um and you have the 32nd ranked pass defense. And I don't know how Brady could not move the ball down the field. Um, just captain checked down. It was just a bad game overall. So the four quarterbacks that you play uh, faced in last year's playoffs were three first ballot Hall of Famers and Taylor Heineke. And there's an argument to be made, although you won all four of those games, there's an argument to be made that Heineke played the best of any of the four. You know, maybe Rodgers, but, you know. There's no argument. It was a fact. He did. Yeah. I mean, I, Mahomes and Breeze for sure. I was going to say maybe Rodgers, but he also threw that back-breaking interception as well. So it is funny because even if he hadn't been starting, it would have been great if Fitzpatrick was benched just for this week um, to bring in Heineke as the as the Bucks killer. But Brady's kryptonite is all these, like, it's Eli Manning, it's Nick Foles. He can't beat the... Just the, the pedestrian quarterbacks, quarterbacks yeah. yeah. I mean, it's true. It actually is true because he um, – didn't he lose to Mark Sanchez once in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they did, yeah. Yeah, 
in uh, over that's one of the Jets uh, AFC trips. I think with beating the Patriots, he lost to he almost lost to Blake Bortles in the AFC title game that one year. Uh, I guess almost losses shouldn't really count, but yes, it's been a murderer's row of guys who are really not that great. Lost yeah, to Ryan but, Tannehill. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a long list of quarterbacks he has beaten that are much better, but you're right. Um, I will. Okay, so. The Washington's one thing. You got one meaningless win. Your team is still a, a disaster. Chase Young out for the They're season. They're a disaster. They're a disaster. And, and not only I that, if you we saw will... the report, they struggled to fill out the stadium again. I mean, this has been an ongoing issue, but it was apparently really apparent this last game. I don't need to see a report. I live it every week, <laughs> every time I turn on a game where we're playing at FedEx Field. Like, it's empty or it's filled with the other team's fans. Like, there's this has been going on 10 years. I would bet... If you you know how if you look at attendance lists, you can say, okay, this stadium is 100%, you know, like Lambeau Field or Heinz Field, probably 100% capacity every week, that type of thing. Wherever we rank on that, if you looked at percent that are actual home team fans, if there's a way to do that, it would probably be 30% of whatever total it is. So you're talking about a handful of actual Washington football team fans in there, most of which refuse to even call the team by the real name now. There's still there's still people who will proudly wear all Redskins gear just to like prove a point. This is where we are right now as a franchise. But hey, week of Nithin. We week of Nithin. And hey, look, the Wizards, it cannot be denied. I'm still waiting for the twenty game mark. We're still not at twenty games. You know that's the magic number. We're close before I start uh, crowning them. But yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny before we get to the main content of the pod, I think the Wizards that depth and and we talked about that uh those guys Kuzma, Harrell, um KCP and Dinwiddie. you know yep. I, all I can think about is the there were all those rumors about Buddy Heald for those guys and the Kings how they could look if they got all those pieces back um because that depth cannot be understated with guys who are smart can defend can shoot and in under wings right so they're really versatile in how you I, I'm, use Ironically, the disproportionate way the Kings roster is shaped, being very guard heavy, Kuzma and Harrell, which was the trade that was going to happen for Heald, are actually the perfect players. Um, and Harrell is a backup. Well, he wasn't going to be in that deal. It was just going to be Kuzma and Harrell. Oh yeah, Lakers Westbrook, Westbrook was going to yep. get a little bit more right. for yeah. Yep. But the point being, like that's actually kind of perfect because Kuzma can play either the three or the four backup Barnes or kind of play next to him, and Harrell is the perfect backup for Holmes. You kind of have forty-eight minutes of energy at the center position. But nonetheless, we will enjoy them while we have them here and while they're still playing well. Maybe at the twenty-game mark, this is all flipped. But hey, that's <laughs> what we said last last episode, and it hasn't happened. So tomorrow will be a good test versus Miami. Unfortunately, we lost at Charlotte, but shot horrifically and you know i think the craziest thing is our defense is actually keeping us in games versus losing them all but all right so today's episode because we still don't really know what's going on we're still trying to figure it out but enough basketball has been played that we've extended a little bit out of the small sample size bias and into some type of meaningful results so we thought we'd do something a little fun this this episode and talk through the five most interesting stats or mind-blowing stats or things that caught your attention um, this year, whether that's player, team, league, good, bad, etc. Um, so why don't you kick us off? What is the first stat that you want to discuss? All right, this one, this one's a, I thought was an interesting one. 
definitely a product of, of small sample size still. But Steph leads the league in net rating uh, for all players with 19. Mm-hmm. Do you know who's second? Is it Alex Caruso? It's Luke Kennard. Wow. 17.7. Now, okay, you're like, all right, whatever, net rating somehow. Part of that is buoyed by his, he leads the league in defensive rating. He leads the league in assist to turnover ratio. He's shooting 43% from three. Um, now, look, he's still a role player. He only averages 10 points a game. He is, it's not like he's playing like 40 minutes a game either. But I think one of the reasons the Clippers have been so good this year, and you know they're sitting at nine and five, he's been giving them quite a bit off the bench. He's been a spark, consistent on defense as well. And it, for once, what was considered a terrible contract, and he couldn't even get on the floor, this guy's balling out. So I don't know what you make of this stats, but Luke Kennard right next to Steph is something I did not expect to see even 14 games into the season. So while you were talking, because I had watched a bit of Clippers Spurs last night, while you were talking, I just brought and I didn't really notice it last night. So like I just brought up the box score. He played 31 minutes. He went three of five, including one one of one from three, seven points, seven rebounds, two assists, pretty normal, plus 31. <laughs> and and to to contrast, Paul George, you know, Batum, Zubac. Bledsoe, they were all negative. So four of their five starters were negative. And meanwhile, this bench mob brought them back. And I was thinking about it, right? Because the Clippers started 0-4, I think, this year, right? Or 1-4, something like that. So it was kind of like, okay, like let's tank and get a top pick and sit Kawhi. Now suddenly you're like, if he can come back, like this is going to be a team that could maybe keep themselves out of the play-in and actually in the top six potentially. I think Kennard is indicative of a pretty amazing turnaround. Like Ty Lue deserves a lot of credit for the way they're playing defense. Like you said, he's number one in D rating, but damn, that is crazy. Steph is always perennially top one, two, three, but we'll see, man. Maybe it does hold up to some extent. Yeah. 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 So that, that one was interesting. Um, but, and, and I think to your point about the Clippers, it's, It'll be really interesting to see if they're gonna if Kawhi is gonna his timeline will change because of how successful they are. I maintained at the beginning of the season that they're not gonna be a good team and Kawhi is gonna sit out the entire season. But now things are, are might change, right? And, and there is a path for him potentially coming back. And then all of a sudden, given how weak the West is, do they become kind of the favorite? It, it's Way too early, but I think that it might be interesting to look look out for. Well, nothing of his personality would indicate the team's performance would change his trajectory or timeline. But what I do find pretty fascinating is if you asked me before the season, I'd actually absolutely say the team would probably be more enticed to push for an early return, and he would definitely not be. This was all predicated on being a free agent this coming summer, but he signed the four-year extension, not even a one-and-one or anything. So he's actually maybe feels more financial security to not have to worry about it as much if there's any type of setback, whereas the team is now taking the longer view because they have to pay him at this max salary for the next five years. So it's kind of a role reversal that I didn't see coming. That's true. But you think Bomber's going to care about... Do, I mean, he's he, not, but at the same time, he wants to win a title. He doesn't want Kawhi to be like Clay Thompson and miss half his super max, right? Yeah, that's true. All right. so we'll see. But anyways, what's what stat do you got? So this is my first stat. 
Reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic. Nine and five Nuggets, six in the West. Nothing crazy, but no Jamal Murray. And obviously, Michael Porter Jr. has been absolutely horrific and then got hurt. So, not a lot to work with. He is averaging 26, 14, and six. Here's the kicker, though PER of 35.4. Now, PER is not the end all be all, but it's directionally right. It is the highest for a single season of all time. The second place is Giannis in 2019-20 with 31.9. So this is ever. This is Wilt is third and fourth, Michael Jordan's fifth, LeBron's sixth, that kind of thing for individual seasons, right? The difference between Jokic at one and Giannis at two is the same as the difference between Giannis at two and Kevin Durant of this year at 65th all time. So that's how much he's lapping the field from like an efficiency production standpoint. That is insane. And there is a sentiment among some in the analytics community who say that, look, we should be thinking about Jokic as the best player in the league right now. And he doesn't get that kind of credit, that kind of respect. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's a pudgy white guy. And and obviously Giannis would probably still hold that crown. I mean, he was sensational today. He dropped what, 47 45, the 47, yeah. On like 18 of 23. But Jokic first half, is, he had 28 in the first half on 12 of 13. But Yeah, but you bring up that uh, PER number and you look at the impact he has on the floor. And defensively, I think he's improved a lot since like maybe three, four years ago when yep. um, he's never been a, like a terrible defender. But I think he can hold his own on that end now. And that offense continues to run through him. They're not getting the same. Like we thought Michael Porter was going to take a leap this year. Hasn't necessarily. Um, and they're still chugging along. And I don't know, man. Like I, We didn't even mention him for MVP. But at this point, and he should be, right? I don't know. It's Giannis. Or it's Steph, Giannis, or Jokic maybe at this point. I think KD has to be involved as well, just given how Harden's looked. Um, But yeah, I think those are the top four in some order. Now, recency bias, aka last night, would have you thinking Steph is number one. That's going to move around because Steph had like almost like a mini slump at times too, where he looked a little, you know, he wasn't necessarily his top level. So I think Jokic has to be in the conversation. And it's, it's really annoying that people like, you know, LeBron stands like yourself were just kind of explaining away his MVP being like, oh, LeBron got hurt, KD didn't play enough, and B didn't play enough, so they gave it to him by default versus recognizing the greatness we have on our hands. What do you mean? I predicted Jokic to win MVP last you year. You did Don't that as a bullshit. Yeah, because you do your emotional hedge where you really want LeBron and you're rooting for LeBron. and you're just like, I could have emotional you... hedge with anyone else. Like, that doesn't mean that I didn't believe in him. Um that being said, yeah, I think LeBron is, has a good case this year, given how the Lakers team is, is not the same with it, without him on the floor. Um, All right, what's your second stat? All right, I'm going to go with the Warriors. I've got a couple Warrior stats, but I'm, the first one I want to talk about, they are plus 124 in the third quarter. Mm. Um, now, over, I think they played like 14 games. That's so close to a 10-point advantage per quarter. But here's the kicker. The next best team is the Suns with plus 36. And <sighs> look, there's so many stats about this Warriors team. It's To me, it's still unfathomable that they're this good on offense and defense. They're getting contributions from a lot of guys. The corpse of Iguodala is even you know, a valuable uh, piece for them. I, but I think what 
when you watch them play, if you've and they've been on TV quite a bit this this season, that third quarter they are blitzing teams, and and there's so many games where it's a close at halftime or they're down, and they come out and Steph is blazing, and it just feels. It reminds me of some of those old Warrior teams where they can flip a switch. Yep. And the weird yep. thing is there aren't flip-a-switch type of guys on this team. It's Steph, and a lot of guys are making shots, but it's it's not like they got Clay and Durant also lighting it up. And I don't know how they're doing it, but it's a combination of really good defense, a well kind of really streamlined offensive attack, and obviously Steph just doing what he does. But that third quarter, man, it's just unreal what they've been able to do. I think specifically to the comparison with the old teams, those teams used to also blow everyone the fuck out in the third quarter. It was yep. like, hey, you're kind of down by six. You're kind of down by eight. Boom. You're down by 25. And Steph and Clay and Dre are sitting in the fourth, right? Or you know, when they had Durant, same thing. And, like, that is the biggest thing that, like, I remember last night because I, you know, I, was, I thought Brooklyn was going to win, thought they had been playing well, obviously playing at home. Durant was rolling. And it looked good the first half right it was close it was exciting and then they just blew the doors off of him and like we can talk about Harden in a separate context and just kind of what's going on with him um but I'm having trouble I'm curious for your take here because like we both went under on the Warriors we were both kind of down on their prospects as a title contender I think we're obviously going to be wrong about the under so put that aside right they're going to not be in the top you know, then the bottom like four of the playoffs, they're probably going to finish top four, top three. Yep. Do you buy them as a title contender now, as a true one? I think you have to. I think you have to for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, Clay is coming back, and we don't know what he's going to look like, but that just automatically changes the calculus of this team. And two, I mean, they're doing it on offense and defense, right? This isn't the product of just a really hot shooting month. And they've got all these other flaws that have been kind of papered over. Mm-hmm. This is a good offensive team, a good defensive team. Um, they've had big wins. They had a soft schedule early on. But now they've turned it on recently against some of the better teams, right? They beat Chicago in a big game. They throttled Chicago last week. Yep. Um, and, and so at this point, I think you have to take it seriously. And given the state of the West, why not? Um, yeah. yeah, I think they definitely are a contender at this point. Yeah, I mean, the first excuse, if you weren't feeling them, is, well, they had a lot of home games. Second excuse is, well, they played a lot of bad teams. Then they played Chicago, beat them. But it was like, okay, it was at home. Come out east. Lose to Charlotte, right? So they're starting to be some anti-Warriors momentum. But then sl- slam the Bucks, uh, the Nets last night. I think I'm going to be totally wrong on this, but I'm still not buying them as a contender. And the reason is what you highlighted. I should say this. The West is not that great this year, so maybe by default they're the best, but what you said earlier really struck a chord with me, which is this isn't some like legion of stars. This is one superstar, one, you know, maybe the greatest role player of all time in Draymond and a lot of kind of nobodies, cast offs, old guys, not a lot of proven players. And I think there's some regression coming from the Jordan pools of the world. And for the, um, you know, Gary Payton juniors who, or, who, who hasn't stuck around in the league. I know he's great defensively, but he can't do a lot else. And like, Bielitsa and like Otto Porter and like they're not getting a ton from each one individual person which is why you could think it's sustainable but I also think their role players are playing at a level that is pretty unsustainable no you know what that is a good point we teams in the regular season who are getting contributions like the six to eight points from multiple guys and they don't have a core three or four 
those are the teams that get smoked in the playoffs. Yes. Because that and depth I think does Clay, not matter. Clay can be that, right? Like, he can be your third, and, like, that was what he was before. I don't know what people are – I don't know what the sentiment is around the league in terms of what people are expecting. Like, two-year layoff, he hasn't played in, you know, since June 2019. So I don't know what the expectation is. But to me, it's it's been pretty much a universally, like, wait and see, but err on the side of optimism. Which yeah. I hope is how he shows up, but you just don't know. You don't know, and, and you know, they're going to play it. They're going to do right by him, too, especially after the way the whole KD thing played out. They They won't rush it. Um, yeah, it's going to be like 20 minutes a night at the start. No back-to-backs, things like that. See how he feels. You know, Wiseman, by the way, you didn't even mention Wiseman, did you? No, because he sucks. Does he suck or is he a rookie center trying to play in like an extremely complex offensive system after playing He's, three games in college? You're right. You're right. We, I think we have to give him a little bit more leeway. Um, I, I, I think that this team, though, like they have Kuminga and Moody and, and Wiseman. Like, at some point, when do you flip some of these pieces to get another star? So, like, those are valuable pieces. Like, Moody, Kuminga were like top projected, top seven type guys, right? So, so the move that's just waiting there for them, if Clay returns to form and they feel like they can really go for it, is Wiggins. And then this young guy's back to Minnesota for Carl Anthony Towns. Because we're seeing the Timberwolves, after a hot start, kind of come back to life a little, come back to earth, and revert to who they used to be, which is, you know, a bunch of gunners, no defense, kind of losing every night, four and ten or five and nine, something like that. And they're not going to make the playoffs, and Cat is not going to continually be okay with this. Now can you imagine Steph Cat pick and rolls? Cat, by and, the way, who's shooting seven threes a game at 44% from, from beyond the arc. And you got Draymond to do the dirty work on defense. Yep. Uh, kind of freeze Cat up. You don't have that pressure. I like it. In Minnesota, why not? Now you have uh, Ant, you have Moody, well, you have Kaminga. Like you, and- you have Wiseman. Reset your timeline. You know, figure out what you want to do with Wiggins and Russell. Those guys are young, but maybe not interested in being there in another rebuild. But whatever, you have three or four young guys go get another top pick because you lost your top pick. You just got it back, right? Like that was yep. that was who Kaminga ended up becoming. So it's not a great trade for Minnesota. Like getting Wiggins and the, their own pick back is somewhat embarrassing, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. What, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, don't, they're, they're... don't fall victim to sunk cost fallacy, right? Exactly. That's that booth education right there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, man. I, I actually think that's a good deal for both sides. Like, if you're Minnesota, you're not getting a better return. I mean, you always want more for your star player, but at this point, like, if you can get three young guys who, uh, you know, you might as well not reset the timeline, you can be bad again and get another one. And so, yeah. Because if you think about the other, players. like, gettable stars, so to speak, Beal doesn't make sense for a variety of They're reasons. Namely, him, yeah. right. They're playing well. Plus, they just played paid Gafford. So, Wiseman is duplicative. Um, Philadelphia with Ben Simmons, maybe it doesn't even cost them Wiseman, honestly, but you know, they got Embiid. There's no room for him there. And then after that, it's like, who else is really, you know, they could make a interesting trade, which could be something like what San Antonio has to offer. DeJounte Murray is something around there. He's actually playing pretty well this year, but again, like it's duplicative with Steph and Clay. So trying to think about what they actually need. Um, 
and it, it kind of depends on how Clay looks and if wing is an area of strength or a wary of weak area of weakness. Yeah, uh, they uh, definitely need to make some move, but um, they did beat the Kings tonight, which you know says more about the Kings than it does about the Wolves. So. Yeah, unfortunately, I do not have a stat related to the to the Kings in my list, but here we go on my number two. We already talked about the Wizards, but I thought it'd be worth highlighting. And again, this does not take into account tonight's Wednesday night's games because um, I made this list earlier. Um, Montrez Harrell, sixth man of the year, right, two years ago, went to the Lakers. Everyone thought it was a steal, and it absolutely uh, blew up in their faces. He didn't play. He was getting DNPs in the playoffs. What he's doing this year, 29 minutes a game off the bench. Chuck these advanced stats out from Harrell, who has been sorely needed given everything else going on. He's second in win shares per 48, right? Fourth in overall win shares, so it's not just a small sample size minutes-wise. Fourth in true shooting percentage. Sixth in box plus minus. Sixth in VORP. Sixth in PER. And here's the kicker, 70th in usage. So doing all of this without dominating a big share of possessions. Montrezl Harrell, to me, call me crazy, but if you had to make the All-Star team right now, he's on it. <laughs> he's not making the All-Star, oh, along with who else? Daniel Gafford, Spencer Dinwiddie. Kyle Kuzma. Put all, the, put all the Wizards on there. Well, Beal sure as hell not going to be on it, so someone <laughs> has to represent from the number one seed. Or it could be like the Hawks where they all go, the 60-win Hawks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, the Harold Harold's a nice story, but we've seen this before. Like, what? I, mean, I guess the Not advanced this. stats look really good, fine. But like we, you said, he was a six man, and uh, the Clippers, he was putting up 20, 20 and ten almost every night. We know the story with Harold. He gets to the playoffs, and then he becomes unplayable. It happened in L.A. Uh, I mean, it happened for the Lakers, it happened for the Clippers. So. Sure, it's a nice story for the regular season. Maybe he gets an all-star nod, but come on. like I don't think he's like some pivotal piece that's going to be really key to the Wizards' success moving forward. Whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think when you say our success, our success is making the playoffs. So in that regard, you could argue he will be, but not in a contender's success, which we're not. If he was on Brooklyn, he's getting marginalized in the playoffs. That's yeah, we'll see. I but mean, you guys us, need to win that first playoff series, right? So we'll see. Uh, I actually today, when it looked like we were going to beat the Hornets, I was like, "Damn, we need to figure out playoff rotations and how much Harold is going <laughs> to play." <laughs> okay. All right, that, that's what that's what I was thinking about. Like four games into the season, when the Kings yeah like three and yeah. one or something. Um. All right. Here's mine. Lonzo, a lot of has been talked about Lonzo and, and the impact he's had defensively. You know, he has steadily improved his three-point shooting percentage every single year in the league. Um, and this year, he's sixth in makes and 25th in attempts. Uh, so good volume, and he's sinking them. And I think He's really carved himself out as more. And, you know, the funny thing about Lonzo is he started getting this rep as a 3 and D guy a couple years ago, right? He, but he's with the such volume three-point shooting, with how good he is defensively, and with the playmaking. I mean, everyone has talked about it, but Lonzo and Caruso are really what are fueling that Bulls team who have become a defensive juggernaut and offensively actually haven't been as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just wanted to call him out, you know, fellow 
Bruin, um, and he's just steadily gotten better. And, and that contract right now is looking absolutely worth it. So I've watched a lot of the Bulls this season. Um, they've been my second favorite team. I've always felt you kind of feel a little bit of like love for the Chicago teams, right? They're not really direct rivals with any of your teams for the most part. We, you know, I still, I've lived here for six and a half years. You know, you lived there for a couple of years, had a great couple of years there. So yep. this year was exciting because Bulls basketball is sort of what we all grew up on. So even if you weren't a Bulls fan, you knew about this franchise in a big way. So the fact that, you know, the Jimmy Butler Rose era was big, but th- this one felt different for some reason because it was like a lot of new players, um, which was like a exciting kind of turn from how they've been building. I I think I told you two weeks ago with Lons, uh, sorry, with Caruso, he just wasn't just like this nice gimmicky player. He might be the one of the best defenders in the league. Watching him and Lonzo is unreal. Um, Lonzo is interestingly shooting better from three than he is from the field just because he not good at finishing at the rim and he has no moves, which you of course know well as watching him at UCLA, but it is incredible because with two very high usage players in Levine and DeRozan, they're the exact other two you'd want on the court. And those guys are making every shot they take. So you just need people to swing the ball, play defense, shoot and hit open threes. He's been what the doctor ordered. And, you know, I was really worried when they lost Pat Williams that it hasn't, you know, they haven't really missed him in that capacity yet. It'll probably come up eventually, just not yet. Yeah, I mean, the Bulls are uh, a nice story this year. Obviously, Lonzo's a big part of that. I mean, you talk about your time in Chicago now. You've been there six and a half years. My two years in Chicago, they were they were bad. And the biggest moment, I think, for the Bulls when I was there it's probably Nick Nikola Mirotic walking out of the MPP elevator on a Saturday morning. <laughs> like that was probably the most eventful thing that happened. And us Chicago being Bulls. like, which room did he come from? Why wasn't <laughs> exactly. it? Why wasn't it mine? Yeah. <laughs> um. But but yeah, man. I mean, I think he's been an awesome story, and um, you know, I think Lamelo gets a lot of the attention now just because of he's he looks like he's going to be the better brother. But what Lonzo has done and kind of carved his role out, um, I, I think it's it's worth. Uh, Lamelo is gonna get his get a max deal. Lonzo is gonna be on three teams by the time he's in year five. But you know they're both kind of on their way to their own type of success, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, well, all right, next one. Stat number three for me. So the top two scorers in the league: Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Right, twenty-eight point nine for Durant, twenty-eight point seven for Curry. Okay, uh, coming in tonight. Here's the crazy thing. Durant is taking 75% of his shots are twos and 25% are threes. And he has a true shooting percentage of 66.6, which is unreal for the types of shots he takes, which is quote unquote, the worst shot in basketball. Steph Curry, 28.7. He's taken a career high. 66% of his shots are three point attempts. 34% are twos shooting a true shooting percentage of 63.8, which is actually a little bit below his career average despite that he's putting up monster numbers so they're both they're not the same player we know this but they're not as different as like curry versus Giannis. you know they both are shooters at heart and the fact that they're doing it in such different ways is pretty amazing to see both with obviously incredible success i love that stat because you know normally when you see a guy with that kind of shot profile um it's a big i mean durant is a big right uh but the fact that the, a lot of those are long twos, mid-range pull-ups, and he's got that true shooting percentage you just called out mm-hmm. is 
is phenomenal, man. And Durant has, I, I just have a new appreciation from every time I watch him. And once again, you know, last year we got a glimpse of it in the pl- the playoffs without Kyrie, with Harden hobbled. We're getting the same Durant this year, given Harden's uh, slow start to the season, Kyrie being out. And the fact that the Brooklyn's kind of recovered from that slow start, I think they're 8-2 and two or 9-1 and one in their last 10. Mm-hmm. They're humming along, gunning for that one seed again, um, you know. But I, I – Steph also, I mean, it's crazy that he is the most – he's shooting the highest number of threes ever. Yeah. And it's like both of them, like you said, polar opposites, but still at the top of the league, which which I think is good. Like I, I hate seeing all these guys at the top being pure – Three, you know, when it was hard in Curry, like all these guys who were just shooting yeah. threes and getting to the line. Nice to see the mid range come back. Did you see after last night? It was Steph's thirty seventh game of his career with nine plus threes, and the next place is like Harden and you know Clay. Clay and guys, and, yeah, and they're all like single digits. Yeah. yeah, they're at nine. Insane, insane. We'll we'll never see. I don't think any anybody like like uh, Steph. Like just. <sighs> You know, I'm not saying that Trey ever had a real chance of being Steph, but you look at even a guy like Trey who has that kind of shooting skill in times, he'll go a long stretch in these slumps. Steph's slumps, if they last two games, people start freaking out, right? He's been basically above 42, 43% every year of his career from three, and he's taken insane volume. Like, I just, you know, maybe... And it's it's not just the shooting ability; it's the ability to get open, the ability to have like endless amount of energy. The whole package is. I'm not even a big Steph guy in terms of like liking him, but I just respect his ability like so much. I was never a big Steph guy um, because obviously those Warriors and Cavs battles and LeBron and. Sure. But I I just it's it's one of those things, man. I just wish we saw KD doing his thing in those couple of years when he was at his peak. Curry, if he had continued his trajectory on, after his MVP seasons, like both those guys still clearly still got it. And yes, they joined forces and did something special. But if we had gotten two years of them both leading their respective teams, yeah, I just like the NBA would have been so much more exciting. So I'm always going to be pissed at KD for then doing he went that. There. Like, I still can't get over it. At least he didn't stay. Because if he stayed and they had these guys again, Right after injury and everything, it would have been such a joke because they're really the year that they were both hurt lined up. So in a way, it worked out perfectly because you knew Durant was going to miss that season anyway. So it was a lost Steph season. If he had just re-signed, they would have been loaded up last year and loaded up this year. Probably could have won the title last year, honestly, with how things played out. Exactly. Um, All right. What do you got next? All right. Uh, Russell Westbrook. Speaking yep. of Bruins, I already covered Lonzo, so now I'm going to go to Westbrook. He's averaging the most career turnovers in NBA history, 4.1. Um, and I read a stat that said zero turnovers for the rest of the season would still have him first. So the point of this is... Wait, what does that mean? He could play the rest of the season every single game um, with and have zero turnovers for the rest of them, and it won't drop his... He still have the lead for most career turnover rate or most career turnovers. Oh, career turnovers. Okay, I was thinking this season. I was like, that would be kind of crazy. What if someone just turned it over 10 times a game? Okay, Career yeah, turnovers. Cool. And yeah, of course, one season out of his, what, his career has been like 12 seasons or That's whatever. That's shocking. But it's still, it's still crazy because it shows the significant lead he has on that. And the reason I bring up the stat is because I want to talk about Westbrook a little bit. Um, yep. I've never seen a player where it's so apparent 
to so many people what his flaws are. Mm-hmm. And yet there's still so many people willing to believe because of the gaudy stats. I mean, you talked about in down the stretch of Washington last year, he was good. But it's the same story every year. It's the turnovers and the shooting and the decision-making and the clutch that absolutely kills you. And I I don't know why teams... And and you can blame maybe it's LeBron who made that decision and obviously it was not the right... Maybe, I mean, maybe they'll be fine, but I just look at this guy, man, and I think about his career and the fact that he is an MVP, the guy who's averaged a triple-double in multiple seasons, and yet he has these stains on his resume and this turnover mark, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I want to discuss Westbrook a little bit. So that's why I brought up that stat. <clears throat> so, you know, like, I probably watched Westbrook as much as any player that was not on the Wizards. Um, you know, LeBron, Durant, Steph, Russ, basically. Two, two reasons for that. One is I love Kevin Durant, so I watched a lot of those Oklahoma City teams play. Two is he's played on marquee teams pretty much his entire career, so he's always on national TV. And then three, he ended up playing for the Wizards too about, uh, last year. There are moments where part of the reason that people can't get over or will choose to ignore certain stats or choose to use them in an argument for or against him very viscerally is because – Really, when you watch him, there's no way to evaluate. I'm not even talking about this version of West Russ, because like, let's take it back to like even Prime Russ. Because right now, what we're seeing is a probably a little bit more banged up version of Prime Russ, you know. And you just look at it, and you're just like, I remember there's this one game. I want to say, oh, okay. So I actually just pulled it up. This is the game. It was against 2017 against the Magic, who were bad, but they were beating the Thunder. And this was Russ's MVP year. He goes 57 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists. And they win in overtime. So he, they needed basically every one of those stats. And then you're like, oh, well, all he does is stat pad. But then you're like, well, look at the record when he has a triple-double. And then, you know, his teams are amazing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like everything is like this yin and yang with Russ. And it's truly a dichotomy unlike any other player I've ever watched who is of his level of talent, right? And I – like last year, he he literally probably lost us like 15 games and he won us 25. And then in the playoffs, he lost us the whole series. We were never going to beat Philly, but he made sure of that, you know? And it's it's that back and forth, back and forth. And you watch him on this Lakers team and now all the Lakers fans finally get to realize what, what the rest of the NBA has dealt with. And – they're having panic attacks. And it's so funny to watch it play out in LA. I always have a soft spot for him, though, because I feel like he was unfairly criticized in ways that unless you watched him night to night, you didn't really understand his value in a lot of, in, in a lot of his uh, elements. Yeah, and, and I look, to your point, he was sensational in his prime, and, and now he's in a different stage of his career, so it's unfair to kind of say he's always been like this. And and I look, I love Westbrook as a UCLA guy. Like I, I watched him in in college, and he was electric. And no player, I don't, I still don't think I've ever seen a player as electric as Westbrook. Derrick Rose, everyone likes to bring up Derrick Rose. I don't think Rose, like he jumped out the gym, he had his his moments, but I still think Westbrook. No one has ever played at that level of intensity. I just, it, it's just sad to me that his, like you said, he won you guys twenty five games, and he lost you fifteen. There's always a camp that's so hyper-focused on the 25 
And there's a camp that's so hyper-focused on the 15. And we have trouble kind of middling out what Westbrook really is, which is very talented, high-energy guy who's seriously flawed. And you can't think of him as a complete net negative for your team. And at the same time, he's not a the third or fourth banana on a contender, I don't think. Um, it, but we always, like you said, it's just we go back and forth between this dichotomy because it, it's so apparent, like his flaws and how good he could be. You you can't win with, with Russell Westbrook. You cannot win a championship with him being who he is. Um, that's been proven time and again, which is just the reality. Like, it's not even like he hasn't been on good teams. The Thunder team should have won a title, right? Um, fine. The Rockets, maybe not, but you know, the Wizards, maybe they should have been not advanced past round one, but they also shouldn't been below 500, right? So like in every, or, or just above 500. So in every instance, you can argue his team both underachieved and overachieved. Like those Thunder teams with Paul George, they were getting smacked in round one. Paul George was putting up a top three MVP season. Something doesn't compute there, right? And you go and see Paul George, he's gotten a conference finals run on his own with the Clippers, or the Pacers. He did it again with the Clippers. So he wasn't the problem, right? Harden's been to four conference finals. He joins Russ, they're out in round one. He goes with CP, they make two. Um, you know, obviously Durant's won two titles, two finals MVPs. LeBron's done all this stuff, and the Lakers can't get out of their own way. Now, Everybody's at different stages of their career. I understand it's not a fair comparison, but there is one common denominator, and that is Russell Westbrook in the playoffs. And that's just something that everyone's got to reckon with, whether you're a fan of his or not. So, And that that's crazy, like, when you put it that way. Like, every teammate he's had has had that level of success without him. But with him, they haven't gotten that far. So, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it... It's hard to look at him as a winning player, but then it's hard to say that 25, 10, and 12 is not a good thing for your team. You have to watch it to know when it is a good thing and when it's a terrible thing. you know. And you can only get that with Russ if you watch. The box score does not do it justice because even he can even have a good shooting game, have low turnovers, but he's dribbling the air out of the ball or he's not finding the right guy, or he's taking a shot when an open three is, you know, there it's like, there's all sorts of things that happen that I don't feel like if you watch, if you look at like a LeBron box score, you can kind of tell the feel of which he played this game. Is he going to be the scorer? Is he going to be the facilitator? Is he going to go grab 15 rebounds? What do you need from him? Three blocks, two steals. Like you can kind of visualize, okay, this is what happened. Same thing with Durant, right? He's nine of 13. Okay. He's chilling. He's got 22 points midway through the third. He could have 40 if he wanted, but they're up. They're comfortable. With Russ, I just feel like you never know, um, which is why people felt those triple-doubles started to become meaningless. Yep. All right. My fourth stat. So this rookie class has been pretty pretty amazing in a lot of ways. Um, Unfortunately, not yet really from the top two picks. Cade and Jalen Green have struggled for their own reasons, but – Let's talk about pick number three, Evan Mobley. Everybody is on this dude's jock, like no question. But I also think it's well worth it, right? So check this out. The Cleveland Cavs are ninth in defensive rating this year um, after finishing last year 25th. Part of that is a full season of Jared Allen. A big part of that is also adding Evan Mobley to the front court. Now, unfortunately, this is going to drop because he's out two to four weeks with, a, I think it's, was it a wrist or ankle? I forget. But he's number one in the league in contested twos. And he's number one in the league. So number two in the league at contested threes. 
He's number eight in the league in total box outs. He's one of 10 players and, of course, the only rookie averaging at least one block and one steal a game. And he has a defensive rating of 102 and an offensive rating. He's still unpolished offensively, but offensive rating of 109, meaning he's a plus every time he steps on the court for a Cavs team, which, you know, is hanging in there. They'll eventually fall back to the pack, but really looking better than I think people gave him the credit for. And I think he's a big reason why. Uh, Yeah, not enough can be said about Mobley and how good he's been. Um, at this point, front runner of the, I mean, he's out two to four weeks, so he might seed it, but front runner for rookie of the year. Um, I, I think when we talked a little bit about him before, I think what's most surprising to me was that he was supposed to be a little raw and he doesn't have the frame. And so the questions were, how is he going to play defense at this level? Um, how is he going to get to his spots? And he hasn't, like, I mean, given the fact that he's averaging what? 15 or 16 points? I think 15. 15 a game. Um, and, you know, he's still kind of getting acclimated to the NBA. He is raw, right? He's averaging size. 15 being raw. Being raw, exactly. Like that just, the ceiling on this guy is, I mean, we talk about unicorns. And, you know, that used to be, I, I actually don't hear that much anymore. But, you know, we talk about. That's because we were really scarred with Christoph's Porzingis. Porzingis. Nobody wants the. We're all getting rid of that word from our vocabulary after what honest, he did to but, us. But this guy's a classic unicorn, right? Like, yeah. I don't know any other way, word to describe him. The length, the versatility on offense and defense. Um, and, and for a rookie to be the linchpin of your team's success, like, like you said, Cleveland's defensive rating, Jared Allen, yes, is a part of that. But a lot of it is directly attributed to Mobley. And anytime a rookie can come in and have that type of impact on a team and have it lead to wins, like that is is rare, really rare. Because usually rookies are all empty stats. So, And we just talked about it in the context of um, James Wiseman, right? Where it's like he couldn't learn the defensive schemes. He couldn't really learn the offensive schemes. And he couldn't play. I mean, who's to say he's much different of an athlete than Evan Mobley? He's probably not as rangy, right? He's probably not as, like, side-to-side versatile. But it is hard to pick up how to be a rim protector. But the thing is, he's also able to get out on pick and rolls. Like, the biggest problem with Rudy Gobert is what? He cannot get out on the switch. That's why people are like, well, I'd rather have DeAndre Ayton, right? Mobley, if he's in a playoff series, hopefully soon, because I like the Cavs core. I don't know when they'll actually make the breakthrough, but – he will be a menace in the playoffs because you can't scheme around him like you can some of the other defensive bigs in the league. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's important. Like the Gobert's of the world, we've seen in their flaws in the postseason. Mobley, given the way he's extending out to the perimeter and he's switchable, he's not going to have that problem. So yep. Cleveland, I mean, they've they've really lucked into a generational talent. And somehow they always do it. It's like, I mean, LeBron, then... Kyrie, then LeBron again, and then now now Mobley. Kevin Love. Kevin Love. <laughs> is he still, is he coming back? Is he what's going on with him? He was playing, right? He was like playing. He's actually playing. No, he got COVID. He got um, yeah, he, he's out right now, but he was, he was supposed to come back. Oh no, he's he's playing he played tonight. Twenty one minutes. Eleven what points, nine like? rebounds. Oh wow. not bad. They lost to I mean, the if Nets. Can I mean get anything out of him, like it's a plus because I He's literally been a zero for them the last couple Nothing to be ashamed of. Losing to the Nets, you know, gave him a hard-fought battle. I love that Duran and Harden, like, just play every night. 
Yeah. This is a classic game that like a lot of stars would have taken off after the yeah. you know nationally televised televised game. But these guys just want to play basketball. They just play every night. Like I would be surprised if if healthy, if they don't have a specific injury, that they don't play at least seventy five to seventy seven games each. And we know that about Durant because he's just a hooper. That's all he does. I think that's one of the underrated things about Harden throughout his career. I mean, he's been dinged up and had his injuries, but this guy is always going to play if he can. Dude, he he his Rockets tenure, the eight years he was there, he's the most durable player in the whole league, LeBron included. Yeah, I I would have to go back and look at how many games he missed, but I want to say it's under twenty total in eight years. Yeah, 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 and he's he's played through some of the small nagging things like that guy. You know, for all the talk about him and the his extracurricular activities, um, he comes to ball too. So both those guys are like, you know, hundred percent. All right, what's your last stat? Last one. Ugh, I I hate talking about the Warriors so much, especially because yeah, what do you say? You very Warrior centric stats here. I, I, I mean, they are the talk of the town, I suppose, right? They are the talk of the town. There's a little buzz going on. You know, I went to a game at Chase. I was mesmerized. Um, What's that arena like? Is it the arena? Is, is it like the arena's sick? awesome, man. It's it's awesome. Um, I think they did a really good job with the. The scoreboard, the what do you call that? The big screen. Jumbotron. They got like all kinds of analytics and shot charts that are always showing. So it's like you you can see the shot profile. You can see like did Chamath the percentages. The, did Chamath uh, <laughs> consult with them on that? Yeah. Like what to it's, put up? It's very Silicon Valley ish, you know. Like, they just I, have live tickers of his spacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, here's how Open Door is doing. Oh wait, fuck, it's down again. <laughs> Shit. Um, but, but the arena experience is good. And like, you know, it's, uh, it's not the same as Oracle, but like, there's nothing like when Steph gets going and, and the crowd is just losing their mind. Right? So you've been to chase and you've been to SoFi, two of like the most premier new stadiums in the country. Did you find that, um, you know, I know you're not a fan of those teams, so you don't necessarily care as much about the history of those stadiums and those franchises, but did you find, like, this glitz and glamour takes away? A, like, I'm thinking, like, so far it looks like an amusement park where, like a, like, a football game is happening on the side. Did it feel that way, or did you feel like the environment was conducive to, like, loud fans, like, people being fired up? It was louder than I expected, but I definitely got the... Uh... It, it the stadium itself was fine in SoFi. It's just that the crowd and it's it just feels weird, right? It, they're yeah. not diehard. They're not many diehard Rams fans. It's LA. Um, I think with the Warriors, at least the Warriors also it's it's a lot more soulless than what Oracle used to be. Like I used to go to Oracle growing up all the time, and it was something else, man. But it's still I, I think I still give Chase the the upper hand because. When Steph's going, man, it is still loud. It is still exciting, and people are. If you're in the upper sections, which I'm, I'm not sitting in the lower bowl, but it's it's always fun. So you need the options to vest first. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, let me. You know what's funny though, because like they always talk about like, oh, you know, the real fans get priced out, et cetera, et cetera. Nowhere has that happened more than in the Bay Area, because not only did they build a new stadium and move the city in, and like all of this stuff. They literally sit in the hotbed of probably the greatest wealth accumulation of any time in modern history in one location. So yeah. it wasn't like, hey, the Bucks built Fisser for them and now the t- tickets and the suites are expensive. It was like, oh, by the way, like everyone you run into just got their EV startup funded for like $3 billion. So, you know, it's pretty funny that 
or maybe it should have just been expected that, but I will say that the rise of Silicon Valley kind of tailed or really front ran the rise of the Warriors themselves as a team. Um, if they had sucked during this whole thing, I would be curious how that vibe would go. Oh man. I, yeah, I have no idea. And you know, you know, another funny way it manifests itself. There will sometimes be empty seats in the lower bowl and everything, even when the Warriors are good. And the reason is because the people who can afford to buy those tickets can afford to just no show. Like they don't need to sell it on a secondary market. Yeah. They don't, they can just decide like, you know, I don't feel like going to the game today. What I dropped 500 on this ticket, whatever. So it's <laughs> DC used to have a ton of um, very wealthy people, but they were different wealthy, right? They're more lawyers, lobbyists, yeah, capital. Hill, yeah. Exactly. That kind of old school stuff, but th- that doesn't even pale in that pales in comparison to the kind of money out West, but they would show late and show up in suits and be on their phone the whole time. Like it was the worst thing of all time. But anyway, yep. so I didn't Wait, even what get was the stat? stat? <laughs> yeah. The stat was I was at chase center. <laughs> the stat. Well, it's not that great. Like, so we already kind of talked about it, right? They're first in defense and second in offense. But the reason I wanted to bring that up and it's early in the season. Can you guess the last three teams to do so? And they all won the title. They're all notable teams. So let's see if you can guess them. Number one in defense, second in offense. You mean for like a full season who finished first in defense, second in offense? Yep, full season. I think the Bucks did that. No, because they won they they were first and first, but they didn't win the title that year. One of the Warriors teams did that. I wanna say the I wanna say the fourteen fifteen Warriors did that. That's correct. That's one of them. Okay, and you said there's three total? Yep. So it wasn't the Raptors, I don't believe. I think the KD Warriors finished first in offense, but you're saying this team has to be second in offense? First in – they have to be top actually, two I think the Top KD, two in both, I think. Is. I think the KD Warriors in 17 and 18 were top two in both. Close, 16, 17. 16, 17, okay. And then the Lakers were not first in offense – the LeBron Lakers were not first in offense. They were first in defense. I'm going to say a little the 12-13 like Heat. 12-13 Heat. A little older. Or older. Maybe not a little. Um, the 0-0-0-1 Lakers? 96 Bulls. Wow. So, I mean, like, that's obvious, right? Those are three of the... like two, 2015 Warriors are a little bit more of an anomaly, but 2017 Warriors and 96 Bulls are... Two, the two greatest teams of all time. I think that's just consensus. That's that's pretty um, rare company. Now, the Warriors aren't going to hold this, right? Once again, small sample size. But I just think that to put it in perspective how good they've been, um, this is really like all those other teams, those historic teams, and they're doing it with, with a very kind of just okay roster. And I think it begs, you know, like Steve Kerr last couple of years, Got a lot of flack. I mean, even for me, right? Like, how good is Steve Kerr really when the roster is yep. not that talented? This team last year struggled to even make the – they were the eighth seed, and then they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, I think I think this season is, is kind of reaffirming how good of a coach he is. Like, you have to give him credit, this roster, what they're able to do. And even if they kind of fall back to earth, I think it's impressive. So, just wanted to call that out. I mean – not to invoke the all-star teams again, but as good as the Warriors have been, do they 
even have an argument for a second one? No. Right. I mean, Draymond's been invaluable, but he's his numbers will never won't get him. Yeah, he would have to make it the way he made those previous ones with just like an insane team record and kind of like dominating to the point that you can't leave him off. But yeah, it would just be Steph, and I think that. You know, all three of those teams were champions. So they all finished top two, top two. Okay. I thought the Bucks did it one year, but maybe they were just out of there in offense. They were definitely number one defensively for a couple of years, but interesting. 96 Bulls. Yeah. It's sad what Scotty is doing right now, by the way. Yeah, it's such a – I hate it because, he, you know, he has some good points, but it's so such a you know i don't know vendetta personal does, vendetta he has and he's trying to sell his book and it's does he have good points like what is his point he doesn't he's have like, good points but he's but like, like i'm as he said i'm as good as michael jordan no no, no i no. should so, be thought of in the same like those aren't the good points I, but i think the attention he's trying to draw to how good he was and how kind of marginalized he gets in the jordan he lore. doesn't get marginalized though that's the thing he he got included 50 at 50. He got included 75 at 75. He's first team, first, uh, first ballot hall of famer. He was an immediate selection for the dream team. Like he's included on everything. What has he not been included on? He's a seven time or eight time all NBA all-star made it every year in the run. Like, do you want them to cover the last dance and not talk about the migraine or not talk about him sitting out because the play was run for coach? Like those things happened. And I think yeah. they're pretty important to the bull story. I don't have a problem with how the story was told. And look, it's it's Jordan's documentary at the end of the day. Like, of course, it's going to paint him more favorably. Um, I So, I, yeah, look, I, I'm not defending Scotty Pippen. I just think that in the grand scheme of things, he does just still deserve more credit. I, all the things you've conceded make sense. I still don't think he gets enough credit. That's just me. I think he gets a little too much credit. Oh, please, come on. All we point to is that 94 season where he finished like top five MVP and whatever, 54 wins. And it's like, that's great. And they they almost reached the conference finals without Jordan. But they were a pretty good team in general. They had Kukoc, they had Horace Grant, they had Kerr and Paxson, they had BJ Armstrong. Like they weren't a bunch of scrubs around Pippen. And the teams, like, you know, the thing that's annoying is like, you know how everyone says Jordan's one and nine without Pippen? It's been said so much that these like young fans are now starting to think that means nine playoff series. <laughs> like they're thinking that he has lost nine playoff series without Pippen versus it just being three playoff series. Yeah, that's I, I don't even like, care about that stat as much. Like it to me, it's uh, the problem is Pippen. Uh, the problem is when you compare him to LeBron, and people say that. Jordan didn't play with like this super superstar, and Pippen was a super superstar. Like you can't say he's not just a a two. You know, it was like a one A one B in some ways. Like Pippen could have been the best player on any other team or most other teams, and he's not talked about that way. He's talked about more as a second fiddle. But I I don't know because if you listed out the top ten players of the nineties, right? You give any knowledgeable fan not. You know, Steve six eight three seven four nine on on uh, Twitter. But if you gave any knowledgeable fan a list of top ten players from the nineties, you don't think he'd be on it? I think people would forget him. Yeah, I think people would would say Malone. They'd say Payton. They'd say Ewing. They'd say okay, all these yes. guys. And yeah, name them. There you go. I, I have those 
three others. Reggie have, Miller. Um, you have Jordan. I mean, it depends on how you're doing the 90s, right? Like, if you go early. Like, 1990 to 1999. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think people forget Pippen. I would have Shaq. Shaq, yeah. Penny. Pippen. No, not Penny. Pippen. I mean. Grant Hill. Grant Hill. They'd pick all these guys over, over Pippen. No, they wouldn't, dude. Six titles. People don't forget that. This is the thing. It's like the only reason we don't talk about Pippen anymore is because it's 2021 and, like, we moved on. People, the reason people don't move on from Jordan is because, A, his, his, his literal figure is on shoes, millions of shoes worldwide. B, he is the greatest player of all time. Or if you want to say he's second, fine. He's the second greatest player of all time. I will never personally say that. But if you wanted to, you could. Freedom of speech, technically. And they talk about him because he's just talked about, like, who talks about Patrick Ewing? Who talks about Charles Barkley if he wasn't on? Who talks about Charles Barkley's career? Anybody? A lot of people. Not really. I mean, they talk about him as an NBA TNT guy more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, look, I I didn't want to start this. Like, I don't think Pippen's right in all that he's doing right now, right? He, he's just... He's spewing a lot of nonsense right now. All I'm saying is he deserves more credit. As a kid, I bought a Pippen jersey. I wasn't even a Bulls fan. I bought a Pippen jersey just to spite Jordan because I was like, he, someone needs to give this now, guy some love. Now, some did you publish the book? Were you what spearheading book? that? Oh, the, <laughs> the Pippen's book? Yeah, I'm not sure. You connected him to like Scholastic and Random House. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the executive producer of, of uh, the upcoming documentary. The, but anyways, enough about Pippen, man. What is your what is your last stat? It's equally depressing. It's that the Houston Rockets are currently on pace for 5.8 wins this season. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know, the NBA record is nine. Um, they are going to really, really threaten this. Uh, I believe this was one of both of our lock-unders. Um and as much as we've probably gotten wrong this year, this is one that always felt right. This team is horrible, horrible, horrible. Like, at first it was like, oh, cool, we get to see, you know, Jalen Green and we get to see Kevin Porter Jr., but they're not going to be at all playing a brand of basketball that you're going to enjoy watching. They're 30th in offensive rating, 30th in net rating, ironically first in pace, which is, means it's like a total dumpster fire the whole <laughs> time, and not coincidentally 30th in turnover rate. So it's been as bad as advertised, and I really think that they have a great shot at challenging the rec- for the record of worst all time. Because let's let's we not forget when it gets down to the trade deadline, suddenly they get calls for Christian Wood, they get calls for Eric Gordon. Like this team could be even worse by March, and it likely will. That being said, I still don't think they'll get the record for the worst team, um, or they'll get the worst record ever. Like this team still has some talent, and yeah, let's say they flip Wood, they flip Gordon. You still Jalen Green still talented. Like you have to remember who had that nine win season, the Bobcats, right? Yeah, yeah. that team. If you look at that roster, that was a dumpster fire. Um, and yes, so is this. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they decide your boy John. I th- I'm surprised you haven't brought up John Wall yet because I know you've been carrying free Wall signs. Uh, you know, I honestly <laughs> the past couple of months. It, it sickens me what they're doing to him and what he's choosing to do to himself. Um, it sickens me. But, you know, let's talk about Jalen Green. He's currently shooting 37% from the field and 26% from three. 
Kevin Porter Jr. is about to threaten that Russell Westbrook turnover record you brought up. He's averaging 5.1 turnovers per game this year. Yeah, And Christian Wood, who's been playing well, relatively speaking, sometimes won't even play more than 20 minutes in a game because they want to get Sangoon and Garuba and all these other guys' minutes. So they have been competitive in some of their games, um, right? They they barely lost the Lakers. I mean, although the Lakers have, you know, <laughs> they barely lost to Denver. And outside of that, actually, they've gotten blown up for the most part. <laughs> but still, like... <laughs> They lost to the t- by twelve to the Thunder, who six and eight right now. Yeah, I, I take back what I said. I thought they had more close games. So I'm looking at this. Um, They're I'm actually, at the, you know, you know the basketball ahead. reference. Like they have that chart of like the game results and have the green bar going up and the red bar going down, and yeah. the size of the bar is like the size of victory or loss. All the red bars are just fat, like just huge. Um, what is their one win? Oh, OKC, they the second game of the season. Jeez. They won by 33. It's going to be really, really ugly. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is not going to be a team that you should spend even a second watching, but it is worth bringing up. They're now 1-14, in 14, so the updated wins projection or the wins uh, forecast is 5.4. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and they're playing in in a, a loaded West. The East this year is also very competitive. So it's not like there's a lot of teams on the schedule who, like the Thunder's not a given win in any night. And then who else do you have? Detroit, maybe? Orlando's feisty. They won today against the Knicks. Like, no team is going to give you an easy win. That's the problem. I mean, you'd have to catch, at the end of the year, teams resting, tanking, yep. getting healthy for the playoffs, whatever. And they're already either locked in the number one seed or just are desperately trying to get their young guys some taste of winning. They end up winning a couple. Then that's the only recipe. But like well, I yeah, mentioned, well, that's the thing, thing, right? Like, but they could have like three of their guys gone by then, like Jay Sean Tate or whoever else. Like those those dudes could be on other rosters. That's true. Yeah, actually, now that I'm looking at it, it's very possible. But it's dude, it's so hard. It's so hard to like. There's so many years where the first 20, 30 games, it looks like someone's going to challenge that record, and then they end up winning a bunch down the stretch. It's like the NFL, right? Like 0-16, we always talk about, oh, this team's going to go 0-16, but they're going to accidentally stumble into a win. And the, the Rockets just need nine more. The, well, the Lions almost had their chance. The Lions have gotten closer to winning a game than really the Rockets have, right? With the Justin Tucker, like, 66-yard field goal. And then last week when they, like, should have won in overtime, but they missed a field goal. Really quickly on the John Wall thing, do you think that this is going to end up becoming a pretty big issue with the league where a healthy player who's owed $91 million is just sitting for basically no reason other than – I don't even know what, like, I guess the team just doesn't want to play him and he doesn't want to accept anything less than his contract. Right. So why would he, I think very strongly, there's going to be a John wall named provision like we saw in previous amnesties, but there's going to be something where you can get off of his number without sacrificing cap room or something like that, because they're not going to want star players right now. It's mutual. It's still bad, but at least it's mutual. What happens if it's not mutual, right? like the Ben Simmons situation. Like there's going to be something that they're going to try to do to make this go away. I agree. I agree. I think 
because it's mutual, it's not getting the kind of uh, attention. And because it's John Wall, no one really cares about John Wall anymore. Yeah. But absolutely, I think the league is, is going to look at this. Um, because it's crazy, actually, when you think about it. Because, dude, he, even despite the influx of, like, cap, he's still, like, the third highest paid player in the league this year. So when you talk about matching salaries and things of that nature, it's still very difficult. Yep. Like, the, the Clippers trade that I had posited earlier was, like, Eric Bledsoe, Serge Ibaka, and um, Luke Kennard make the contracts work. But you just brought up as your very first stat how good Luke Kennard's been. Why? It's like, okay, fine. Like, John Wall's maybe a little bit of an upgrade potentially over Bledsoe. Why am I giving up two other dudes for him? Yeah. Like, he's not taking me to the championship. So, it's a – maybe it's just a perfect storm of the way his contract's set up, but – I also do think that they need to look into what is Supermax eligible. He made third team All-NBA once and suddenly got a four-year, $170 million deal to match Steph and James Harden. That's probably an issue. Yeah, but I mean, this is the the whole argument of the Supermax, right? Like, if you make it too strict, you don't have enough guys. And, and the whole point of one of the points of the Supermax was that Small market teams can keep their guys, right? That is that's the, fine. And if you make it so exclusive, then like you're gonna have the counter effect where all these guys continue to keep moving. Um, so I don't know. But some of these teams need to be protected from themselves because, like, two <laughs> I mean, examples, that, that's their own team's stupidity, right? Like they're making that decision knowing. I mean, I think a lot of these teams well, know they're overpaying, but they have no other option. Like the Kings stuck. paid Fox. And, yeah, but they didn't. You know, they didn't pay cousins, right? They had the choice on the supermax on cousins, and they said no. They made a good choice, right? But I think more teams just need to like kind of realize that they have an option. They don't have to. The real example, a real answer, I think that's going to lie somewhere in like, okay, they count thirty five percent of your cap. Sorry, of your they you pay them thirty five percent of your cap, but they only count against twenty five percent, like a mini yep. max or something. Something that will incentivize the team without hurting the team if things go awry. Because ultimately, yeah, what you, you what you don't want is a situation where like you're actually trying to keep them the player in but then it hurts you when they don't perform to their level which how could they because you're paying him the same way you're paying you know three-time champion Stephen Curry so yeah. it's not it's it's not fair there aren't 30 Stephen Currys in the world this is a way to solve for that but it's not actually doing that yeah no I agree I agree they need to do something um but it's just it's such a hard problem to solve because there's always these adverse effects that yeah crop up all right, so on that note, that was uh, my last stat. I, I was trying to, f- I was searching for the fifth one because all of mine had been like really positive. I wanted to see if I can find a negative one. The funny thing is, I was bouncing around Russell Westbrook's stats quite a bit to see what I could come up with. But you know, he is playing at levels that he's probably never played at, but also not super far off from some of what he was doing in Washington, at least early on. Yeah, and you know, it would have been more fun if we did this a little bit earlier. We could t- actually Dame is still pretty bad. Uh, yeah, he's I think I, I sub forty percent from the field, right? He's had a big night tonight, though. I think. Yeah, that's what I said. He's had a couple of games recently where he's pulled up, but he's still shooting twenty eight percent from three on the season. And Jeez. I mean, that's a huge drop off. Um, yeah. And even when you look across the board, he's just not the same player. Um, you know, Portland came all the way back and is now leading, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did see that. And, and they were down, I think, 20 points at some point or 18 points. So I think Dame had a big night. 
Dame time. See. He is no six of seventeen, three of nine from three. So not really. How did wow. this? Honestly, I haven't paid attention to CJ McCollum that much this year. I think he's shooting well from three, but he's not really doing much else. And I don't think it's been like this crazy, like, you know, it's just Dame that's bad. I think CJ has been kind of one of those like empty stats in a way. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's shooting. I mean, he's doing all right. I, I just, I wonder if he's still a, a trade piece. Um, if there's a last ditch effort they can make. We've always talked about maybe what can they get from McCollum, but I don't know. Some teams can use him. But we know Simmons is or McCollum is not enough for Simmons, according to Maury, right? So that wouldn't That's, even work. Yeah, but at some point, like I don't know, McCollum on the Sixers, like. Might be I mean, I could nice. talk myself into that. Him and Seth Curry would be an insane shooting backcourt. Exactly. Um, but, so, and they're doing fine defensively without Simmons. They're managing, right? So. Yep. All right, that is a wrap for us this week. We'll be back next week. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Um, Follow us on social and hit us up with all your questions. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.